people. The best way that I would summarize this video is, okay, it's about the stimulus package, but let's just say, do you know, you know how there's wealth planning and there's also tax planning? Well, this video is about stimulus package planning because there's just so much stuff going on for small business owners and self-employed people. And basically, I'm gonna show you how they all interact and go together and how to maximize the benefit from the stimulus package and just milk the hell out of every dollar so you do not leave one dollar on this table. Because guess who's paying for this? It's you and me, it's the taxpayers. So might as well grab back your own money. And I'm gonna show you how. We're gonna talk about the game plan. That's that's how I would summarize this video. And this is what I'm gonna do with, with my business, okay? We're gonna talk about the interaction between the EDL, the Economic Disaster Loan, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, the sick leave credits, the family leave credits, and the employee retention credits. If you don't know what I just said, if you're lost, you need to watch my other videos to understand what I'm saying because there's a lot of money on the line. And basically, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then this video is just way too advanced for you. You need to, you need to start from the bottom and then get back to this level. That's what you need to do. So let's start with the EDL and the PPP. So the Economic Disaster Loan and the Paycheck Protection Program. Yes, you can absolutely get both loans and you can get both forgiven. This is how you do it. Okay, let's say you get the EDL for $10,000, the maximum loan forgiveness amounts. And then let's just say you get the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program for $10,000. So that's $20,000. You wanna get $20,000 forgiven. But if you have, let's just say, only $15,000 of qualified expenses, then no, you can't get the full, you cannot get the full $20,000 forgiven because the amount that you received for the EDL will reduce the amount of forgiveness for the PPP if the expense is overlapping. Basically, you cannot use the same expense to forgive the loan on both the EDL and the PPP. So you need to segregate the expenses and make sure that you have enough qualifying expenses to get you forgiven on both loan amounts. So for example, if you have $10,000 from the EDL and $10,000 from the PPP, you gotta make sure that you have at least $20,000 of qualifying expenses to get you forgiven. So that's the interaction of the EDL and the PPP and even on the PPP loan application, they ask you, do you have an EDL? Do you want to get it refinanced? Well, if you have an economic disaster loan, well, we can get it refinanced for you and repackage in the PPP. So that's, that's the interaction between the EDL and the PPP. Here's the interaction between the sick leave and the family leave. Okay, just to give you a high level ovary, high, high level, did I just say ovary? Did, just to give you a high level overview of what's going on with the sick leave and family leave, you can sick leave yourself for 10 days for a maximum payout of $511 per day. So it's $5,110 of sick leave that you can do on yourself and for any other employee. But we're talking about from the perspective of you, let's just say it's for you. So 5,110 and you have until December 31st to do this 10 days or up to 10 days of sick leave on yourself. And then for the family 
leave credit. You have 50 days for a maximum payout of $200 a day to give you family leave credits of $10,000, which is in addition to the sick leave credits of 5,110. So you're talking about a maximum payout of 15,110. Why is this important? It's important because the sick leave and family leave, guess what? The, I, the government is giving you this money for free. They're footing the bill for you to take sick leave. They're footing the bill for you to take the family leave. The IRS is giving you a tax credit in full, dollar for dollar. So basically, the government's paying you to go on sick leave. The government's paying you to go on family leave. Here's the thing. Here's the interaction between the sick leave, the family leave, and the PPP. The PPP. Money's given to you to pay yourself, you know, which is a qualified expense. And then you can get that forgiven. However, with the PPP money, you cannot pay yourself sick leave or family leave. That's not a qualifying expense. In other words, you cannot use the PPP money to pay yourself sick leave or family leave because that would not get your PPP loan money forgiven. Therefore, you gotta think of just the time frames. So basically, you do not, in other words, you do not want to sick leave or family leave yourself with PPP money. I hope, I mean, that's as clear as it gets. I hope that clicks, I hope that makes sense. So what you wanna do is you wanna use or claim or pay yourself sick leave or family leave before you get that PPP money or after the PPP time, the time frame ends. So the PPP program, again, referring back to my old videos, you get that money and you have eight weeks to spend that money from the origination date of the PPP loan. So basically, you wanna try to pay yourself now before that PPP money comes in as much as you can for sick leave and family leave. Well, I mean, if, if you qualify for those, because once that PPP money hits, you wanna be using the PPP money to pay yourself those qualifying expenses for the eight weeks. After the eight weeks is over, now it's time for you to hustle to get yourself paid with sick leave credits and with the sick leave pay or the family leave pay. So basically, that time frame of eight weeks, you do not wanna claim sick pay or family leave pay in the eight weeks that you have the PPP money. Otherwise, it's gonna interfere with your loan forgiveness amounts. Okay. The way that the employee retention credits work. Well, first of all, this is the least important in my opinion and probably in the majority of the cases for the viewers, for my clients, because if you get the PPP, which is, that's the, the, that's the biggest one. The PPP is the biggest one. If you get the PPP, you are disqualified from claiming the employee retention credits. The employee retention credits, I mean, that's good. It's up to $5,000 a credit per employee. I mean, that's a lot. However, probably in your case, the PPP is going to be a much bigger amount. So you it's a choice. Do you want to take the employee credits, the employee retention credits, or do you want to take the PPP? I'd much rather take the PPP. Again, it's 
a unique situation dependent upon your unique situation. However, you know, in most cases, the PPP will be greater. So if you have to choose between one or the other, the PPP is probably the way to go. So in that case, in that case, if for whatever reason you just can't get the PPP, I mean, there are, there are, there are quite a few reasons why that would happen then you would just fall onto the employee retention credits. I mean, again, that is a sizable credit. That's $5,000 per employee. So this is the interaction of the EDL, of the PPP, of the sick leave credits, of the family leave credits, employee retention credits. I'm sure I lost a ton of you. However, I'll try my best to answer any questions in the comments below. If any of you, if any of you understood what I just said, again, because this is a very advanced and technical video, please help one another in the comments. Honestly, I applied to get in line to apply. What's going to happen? A banker is going to contact you. So I'm guessing at any major bank that you applied with, they're going to get in contact with you and then they're going to actually help you through the loan application process. But these are the items that you need to have prepared so that the whole process for you is expedited and that you don't have to say, I'm going to have to reschedule with you because I don't have that information handy. So these are the things that you're going to need and you need to get prepared for so that you can have a productive conversation with the lender and get everything done in one fell swoop when they contact you. This is what you're going to need for the PPP loan application. You're going to need the average monthly payroll to determine your loan size. Okay, a lot of you already know this. What you don't know is that the major payroll providers, they're gonna give you a report. That's the CARES SBA PPP report. Log into your payroll system. They're gonna have this report for you automatically calculated so you can present it nice and clean and accurate to the lender because that's what the lender is gonna be looking for. So look for that report. The CARES SBA PPP report. ADP has this report already available. If you are a QuickBooks or an Intuit user, they are still working on it as of today, afternoon, April 3rd, the afternoon of April 3rd. But check with your payroll provider and you're gonna be looking for that report to relay that information to the lender because that's what they're gonna be looking for to determine your loan size. Another thing that you wanna do is make sure that your banking information at the bank, that your lender, make sure that the information that you have on file with them is up to date. The next thing that they're gonna ask for is the actual SBA application loan, the PPP loan application form. So they're most likely going to refer you to fill out the form that's on file, the most current form, with the treasury. So that's the form that we covered in our previous video, you can refer to that. But in that video, <laughs> I mean, that was a few days old and I was ripping on them, especially from the start of the form where they didn't list the C-Corp, S-Corp partnership and all that. Already within about two, three days, all, they've, they must have watched my video because they fixed that. They input all that stuff in there. But there's other changes to the form and again, refer to that video about the actual PPP loan application form on the treasury website, but I'm just gonna go over the differences, which is the, there's only one big difference. Where they ask you near the top of the form, 
to calculate the average monthly payroll. Next to that, they're going to say multiply that by 2.5 plus the EIDL, the economic disaster loan, net of advance. They're going to say if applicable. That's going to equal your loan request. So what does that mean? So I'm just talking about this one section, 2.5 plus EIDL. What that means is that if you want to refinance your EDL loan, you can. That's why you're adding it to this equation. So it's going to be two and a half times your monthly average payroll plus the EDIL, EIDL, if you want to refinance that. So that is only if it's applicable. And again, in that equation, that modified equation, they're going to ask you for the two and a half times the monthly average payroll plus the EIDL net of the advance. So you're going to subtract the up to the 10,000 amounts. Again, if you have any questions, please leave them in the comment section below and please help one another because a lot of people, this is gonna be straightforward, but other people, this is gonna be very confusing to them and it's gonna trip them up. So if you could help one another in the comments below, I'd really appreciate that. The last thing is make sure you have, okay, make sure you have all the information for all the partners. If you have an S Corp or a C Corp or a partnership, make sure you have all the information of every partner, their name, their address, their date of birth, their title, their ownership percentage, and their social security number. You don't want that. You don't want to be hustling like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I needed that information. You don't want that to, be, to happen when you're speaking with the, the lending representative. So make sure you have that information. Otherwise, you're going to have to track down and hunt down all of those people and get that information and it's going to cause a delay. You do not want that. You want to be prepared. You want to be ready for when they contact you. You have everything that they need and you can get that money right away. Okay, thank you for tuning in with me on this one. I just, I'm so happy that I was actually able to get my loan in through the door. Their systems crashed right when it opened up and it went back up. I got my application in. And then the next step is they're gonna contact us. We're gonna have this information ready so that when they do contact us, we're good to go. They can process it and they can execute. So hopefully that happens quick and expedited manner. We will see. Thanks so much. Please check out my other videos and please subscribe. Take care. All right, you guys. This is Dr. Dude, the Boom Fact, and I'm gearing this and trying to help you guys that's that's self-employed by yourself. The oh, wait, let me slow this down. Loan, I'm gonna put it in different segments. And it's moving so fast. The forms are changing. And, it, and it's really like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy, right? So what I've done, I have an explanation on my Facebook page. You go to Danielle Irvin, facebook.com slash um, redeemed by the blood, and then Danielle Irvin come up, D-O-N-I-E-L-E-R-V-I-N, and I'm literally going through what he's going through, and I'm submitting um, clear value tax, the CPA on my boom factor so you guys can hear clarity. So it's just like, okay, well, Dr. D, this is what you're saying. I really don't believe that it's going to give us $10,000. Yes, this is how these companies uh, are thriving. And now uh, 
the president is looking out for small businesses, even independent contractors, or you are the only person that's working. And now, because of this stay-at-home social distancing, it's causing you to lose your money. You're paying yourself. Now, my business come in, Urban Management Group, come in to help you make sure that you have your documents and your paperwork in order. Well, if you have listened to my workshops or been through my workshops, my people have this stuff in order. So they can jump into this and acquire because I've taught them, have it on your tax return. And believe me, you need to have submit your tax return with that business on it just to show, okay, you're following your business, your small business. This is what you're doing. You're paying your taxes. Okay, so you qualified to get this grant. Well, they say it's a loan, but it's forgivable at the end of the six months or the eight weeks or whatever they're telling you when you can provide and do your report and submit it. Well, guess what? That loan will be forgiven, so that's why they say loan slash grant. You have to use it pertaining to your business, meaning you're paying yourself, so you're going to create your own payroll for yourself, and you're going to be able to turn that in, okay, to keep your business going. Remember, this money is to keep the small businesses going, all right? And so now I'm going to go to the next um video so you guys can hear every one of, because they have like four different programs, and you can... Um, qualify for at least two of the loans that you can use. And this guy, he is very simple. He kind of flow like I flow. He just don't have, he don't be trying to talk all these articulate words. So you trying to understand what they're saying. He just talking straight and let you know A, B, C, D, F, G. Okay. So I pray that this is a help to y'all small businesses, even those that's podcasting. You are in business for yourself. Okay, all right, so tune in and I'll be back on next episode. From the third stimulus package, this is the application form that's slated to be in use when the program initiates as of, well, today is April 1st. I can't guarantee you that this will be the exact form, but the questions will be similar. The reason why I can't guarantee that this will be the exact form is that things keep changing on a daily basis, but honestly, it feels like it keeps changing on an hourly basis. For example, they said, the government said, that you would need to go in person into a bank to get the Paycheck Protection Program loan. However, now most banks are closed in Illinois, in New York, in California, all over the country. So now at least my bank, Chase Bank, they're telling me, I got the email today, just saying that you need to apply online for the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Loan. Therefore, things keep changing, but this is the form that you can expect at least as of today, and the questions that you can expect to incur. I wanna go over these questions with you so that you're not left dumbfounded and just confused and panicking when you're applying for this loan. So let's get started. Welcome to the Paycheck Protection Application Form as it currently stands as of April 1st. I can't guarantee you that this will be exactly how it will be presented to you. However, the questions should be similar. But the reason why I'm saying I don't know if it's a subject to change or not is because I already see problems with this form. <laughs> right off the bat, take a look at this. 
It says not-for-profit, veteran organization, tribal, independent contractor, self-employed. Here's my problem that I see already. What if you're a C corporation? What if you're an S corporation? What if you're a partnership? There's no selection for that. What the heck is going on? They really slapped this together in a hurry. Who reviewed this? What is going on here? Honestly, independent contractor and self-employed and sole proprietor, which I don't see, they're all the same thing. They're all... It's the same thing. It's the same terminology. So right here from the get-go, I see problems already. But there should be a space for C-Corporation, S-Corporation, and partnership. Okay, let's just move on because hopefully they'll fix this. Again, don't let this confuse you because honestly, independent contractor, self-employed, and sole proprietor, it's the same thing no matter which one you select. They're all the same. Business legal name. Okay, if you're a C-Corp, an S-Corp or a partnership, then you would write it here. Okay? If you are a sole proprietor, self-employed, independent contractor, you're just going to write your name here. The DBA, this is if it's applicable. If you are registered, going by a different legal name, then you would input it here. But again, this is only if it's applicable, so it's unnecessary. Write in your address here, if you're a business, if you are a C-Corp, S-Corp, partnership, or not-for-profit, write in your employer identification number. If you are self-employed, independent contractor, or sole proprietor, write in your social security number. Write in your phone number here and here. Please write in your email address because that's the preferred method of communication. Okay, this needs some explaining, the average monthly payroll. Let's start off with if you have W-2 employees. And this is applicable to the S-Corporations as well who are paying themselves as a W-2 employee. So what's gonna happen? Let's do an easy example. If it's just you and you're on a $60,000 salary, this is based off your 2019 data. If you're on a salary, if you are on a salary of $60,000, that's your annual salary. You divide that by 12 months to get your monthly payroll. It'll be the same concept if you had employees as well. Just take your total W-2 expense and then divide it by 12 to get your monthly payroll. This is in a situation where each and every employee has compensation of under $100,000. Gets more tricky, well not too complicated, but more thinking involved if you have an employee with compensation over $100,000. The same is gonna be applicable to sole proprietors, self-employed independent contractors as well, so please pay attention. If your compensation, let's just say it's just you, and your compensation as a W-2 employee is over $100,000, let's say $140,000. If that's a situation, there's a ceiling, and that ceiling is $100,000. So that's the cap, which is allowable in your loan power calculation. If that's the case, then it's $100,000, the ceiling, divided by the 12 months. In that case, the loan power on your compensation is capped off at the 100,000. They don't allow you to go above that in your loan power calculation. So in this case, it would be the 100,000 cap divided by 12, which is the 8,333. In this situation, let's just say you're a sole proprietor, independent contractor, or self-employed. If that's the situation, it's the same thing. If your compensation, well, let me just first say, it's based off your gross sales so it's, it's not factoring your expenses we're not going off net profit 
It's gross sales, total revenue, the top line, however you want to coin it. Again, if you're in excess of $100,000, if that figure is over $100,000, you're capped off at the $100,000 mark for that calculation. So again, if, you're, if your sales were $300,000, you're still capped off at the $100,000, divide that by the 12 months, which gets you to 8333 monthly average. That's not gonna be the case if it's you as a sole proprietor with W2 employees. That's not typical, so we're not gonna go into that equation, that example. Okay, so let's just go with a sole proprietor if you're, let's go with a sole proprietor if you're making $60,000 gross sales or if you're an S corporation and your W2 income is $60,000. So in either case, it's gonna be the $60,000 divided by 12 months which is $5,000 a month. You're gonna multiply that by the loan power of the two and a half times, which is gonna to equate to 12,500. That's how you fill out this section. Number of jobs. This is just in reference to W-2 employees. If you are an S-Corp and you do not run a payroll on yourself W-2, you shot yourself in the foot, this is not gonna to apply to you and you're gonna write zero here. If you're an S-Corp and you are an employee shareholder with a W-2 and it's just you, you're gonna write one, you count as an employee. If you are a sole proprietor, you're just gonna write zero here. It doesn't work against you. It's just asking how many W-2 employees you have. So that's what you're gonna populate in this section. Here, you're gonna answer the question. It's very straightforward. What's the purpose of these loans? Again, remember, these are all qualified expenses. So. Don't feel bad if your market, does this qualify this? They all qualify. So, well, unless you choose the other and write something silly. So click off the ones that are applicable to you. This section right here, this is for partnerships. List only the applicants with greater than 20% ownership stakes. Attach a separate sheet if necessary. So please do so. Again, these are the owners. If they own more than 20%, this is really regarding partnership. Could be a C corporation too, but you know, from what I'm expecting, it's mostly gonna be partnerships filling out that form, that section of the form. Here are more questions asking about the details of this loan application. Is this business basically in trouble, or debarred, suspended, ineligible, or presently involved in bankruptcy? Most likely it's gonna be no. If it's yes, I'm sorry, mark off the ones that are applicable to you. Just mark off the ones that are applicable to you but of course I'll be providing details about each one. Has the business, basically, they're asking if you're delinquent with any other loans in the SBA program, so please mark off what's appropriate to you. This is just me answering as me. Is the business, basically they wanna know if you're involved with other entities, the same management, they just wanna make sure that you're not applying for this with multiple entities as you. So in this case, most likely it's gonna be no, unless yeah, you're, you have common management with any other businesses, more than one business. Has the business received an SBA EDL loan between this time frame? If yes, if yes, there's going to be a separate section for you to say that you have. However, if you just applied and you have not received anything, it's gonna be a no. If you did receive it, then it's going to be a yes. 
you are allowed to do the EI, the EIDL loan, the EDL loan, and also the PPP loan, this loan as well. It's just a matter of you can't double dip. Again, the portion of the expenses that you use that are qualified expenses will count as what's forgivable. There can't be overlap in the expenses for you to qualify for the loan forgiveness. In other words, you can't be overlapping your expenses and double counting to get the forgiveness from the EDL and from the PPP on the same expenses. So again, yes, you can have both loans and both forgivenesses. However, they just wanna make sure that you're not double dipping and there's overlap. So answer this accordingly. This question, number five, they're asking if you are in trouble. <sighs> Basically criminal charges, answer appropriately. Now your initial off here. They're gonna ask you if you're in trouble with crime. Answer appropriately. Initial off there. Answer off if you are a citizen or lawful permanent residence or not. And initial off here appropriately. Going down, here's the self-certification part of it. So please read and answer accordingly. I mean, I'm not gonna go through this. I mean, you can, current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary. And again, this is just a good faith certification just by yourself. If these apply to you, you're gonna certify and mark off all the way here. And then in the process, you're going to, when you're ending the process, you're gonna print your name, you're gonna sign off. I mean, this is standard stuff. Okay, so hopefully this has been helpful. The Paycheck Protection Program is designated to begin this Friday. Let's see if it happens. You know, who knows? Let's see if they can meet the deadline. Honestly, in my opinion, I feel like they're actually going to meet the deadline, but it's not a guarantee. I actually believe them in this case because honestly, the SBA, they were, they were very you know quick about upgrading their systems for the EDL loan. If you're tracking my videos about the EDL, they were actually good about that on upgrading the system. So they're saying that this Friday, the PPP begins. I actually believe them, but we'll find out very soon. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe to our channel because, <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice. Besides these forgivable loans, there are other items in the stimulus packages. The next thing we will be covering are the sick credits, which applies to sole proprietors, independent contractors, self-employed, and business owners as well, as well as the family leave credits. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please subscribe. Until next time, take care, stay healthy, stay safe. Okay, you guys, I'm going to, um, this segment, I'm just going to put the link and you guys can go and literally watch it on YouTube and then subscribe to Clear Text. Um, he's a CPA and this is the guy that I, um, learned from as a, uh, tax preparer. And soon to be a CPA myself. Um, so he's going through step by step. And I'm putting a link on this episode. So you can click on it. And you can actually listen to what he's saying. And looking at it while he's uh, speaking on each part of the Paycheck Protection Program. Okay. Now 
This is breaking news regarding the stimulus check and Social Security recipients. If you are a Social Security recipient, you do not need to file a tax return in order to receive your stimulus check. This is as of 9.30 p.m. Central Time, April 1st. The Trump administration backtracked Wednesday evening, April 1st, saying that you do not need to file a tax return in order to receive your stimulus check. Apparently, elderly Americans and senators were outraged. Therefore, they took back the guidance that they issued on Monday, two days ago, that said that seniors needed to file to get checks of up to $1,200, even if they weren't ordinarily required to file taxes. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said, we want to ensure that our senior citizens, individuals with disabilities, and low-income Americans receive economic impact payments quickly and without undue burden. Social Security recipients who are not typically required to file a tax return need to take no action and will receive their payment directly to their bank account. So the Treasury officials said the IRS will be using the existing SSA 1099 and RRB 1099 forms to make the payments to the seniors. They'll get a direct deposit if they have the bank account file. If they don't, they're going to mail you a check. Apparently, there were three dozen Democratic senators. They were putting up a lot of pressure on the Trump uh, against the Trump administration against these stimulus check requirements for filing a tax return. So they asked them to retract and rescind the IRS guidance. They argued that it would place a significant burden on retired seniors and individuals who experience disabilities, especially at a time when tax filing for low-income people is hard to come by, obviously due to what's going on. On Monday, the IRS website said that seniors and low-income individuals will need to file a simple tax return to receive an economic impact under the situation. However, Wednesday night, as of an hour ago, they changed that. Therefore, if you are a Social Security recipient, you will not need to file a tax return. I believe for once and for all that this has been settled. So do not file a tax return if you do not need to. Thanks so much. Please subscribe and take Hi there. I'm You heard that? You do not, because I keep getting these alerts, especially from our owner. No, you do not have to file a tax return. Those that receive in Social Security, you do not have to file a tax return. You, you will receive your money through how you receive your Social Security direct deposit as before. If you do not have a direct deposit, they will send you a check. So you don't have to do anything. Take a deep breath. Those that get those Social Security disability checks, come on, inhale, release. Take a deep breath. You will get your stimulus money. You do not have to file your check, okay? You do not have to file to get your stimulus check. And this episode is for 
those that receive Social Security and disabilities, you do not have to file a IRS tax return to receive your check. Your stimulus money will come straight through how you receive your Social Security benefits, okay? Any form of benefits, VA, Social Security, whatever you have that's with the government already, that's how you're going to receive your money, okay? All right, it's Dr. D trying to make sure that everybody is um, at peace and not so uh, worried or have this this anxiety on, well, how am I going to get my money? Okay? You do not have to file a tax return. What you can deduct is based off how much income the tax return shows. So the more income that the tax return shows, the less medical expenses that you can deduct. So what you want to do is file separately, break up the income levels, so you have two returns with less income, compared to one return with more income so that the reduction of your medical expense deduction is is less. In other words, if you have a lot of medical expenses, you would want to consider filing married filing separately. Just, you're gonna have to take my word for it. <laughs> you know, there, uh, we have a whole new video, a whole separate video discussing that specific alone. So the second reason is completely outside of the realm of tax. If you have a debt repayment schedule based off your income, and this is most applicable for doctors who have large student debt or attorneys, it's the same situation. They calculate how much money that you need to pay back for your monthly payments based off the tax returns total income. So what you wanna do is file separately and you'll have less income shown on your tax returns. Therefore, your monthly payments will be less. This is all based off the debt covenants. But again, this is for a reason totally outside of tax. And the other reasons are if you just want to keep things separate, legally separate with your spouse. Or, you know, the fourth one is if you just really can't stand your spouse. Like, I'm not even trying to say that to be funny or comical. You're married. You're going to be filing married filing jointly or married filing separately. You're... Marital status is dependent upon the last day of the year, so December 31st. So if you are going through a divorce, but it's not complete yet, and you can't stand your spouse, you're still considered married for tax purposes. So you need to either file you, you need to either file married fine jointly or married fine separately. So in that situation, again, like you really can't stand your spouse, then a lot of people choose to do married filing separately, even though it would probably yield a worse result from a household perspective. But people are still willing to forego that so that they don't need to <laughs> file with their spouse. So those are the reasons where you would consider filing separately. Now, if you have an HSA and you used any of those funds for qualified medical purposes, then that's good. That's exactly what you're supposed to do and what you should do. However, when you use those funds for those qualified medical purposes, that's called a distribution. That's called a qualified distribution. So you're going to get a letter at the end of the year just saying these are your qualified distributions. It's called the form 1099-SA. Don't forget to report this, this 1099-SA, HSA distributions. If you don't report it, it's going to look like you use those funds 
as a non-qualified distribution and you're gonna pay tax on it and you're gonna get penalized and you're most likely going to receive an IRS letter. For some reason, they're so anal about this, even if, even if it's for a measly few hundred bucks, you're gonna get an IRS letter. That's just the way it is. So remember, if you use your HSA, you're gonna get a 1099SA. Please don't forget to report that form. If you sold some stock options or RSUs, please make sure that you are not paying tax twice on that sale. So you absolutely need to use the supplementary information provided to you by the brokerage or the supplementary information provided to you by your employer. Usually they'll both give it to you. If you don't, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to pay tax twice on those equity awards that you sold because there's an issue with the way that it's reported on 1099B where there's the cost basis is messed up. So you need to make the adjustments and you make the adjustment given to you on the supplementary information. If you if you don't know what I'm talking about, we go into very specific details in my other video about stock options and RSUs. Please watch that video to save you some money to make sure you're not overpaying on those equity award sales. Please keep in mind that you still have until April 15th to make your traditional IRA contributions to even get the deduction for 2019, even though we're in 2020. So if you're like, you know, I don't qualify for deduction because I'm offered my retirement plan at work and my income levels. But listen, if your intention is to do the traditional IRA, to do the backdoor Roth IRA, you know, that's an option as well. So you still have April until April 15th to make that traditional IRA contribution. So if you're going to do the backdoor Roth IRA method, well, then that's the thing. You're missing out on $6,000 of additional funding if you don't make that contribution for 2019. So you can fund it 6000 for 2019 and then another 6000 right now and do the full $12,000 conversion immediately. So it's just that if that's your if that's your situation or scenario, then yeah, I mean, you don't want to miss out on that $6,000 additional funding capacity. If you have a rental property, I mean, this seems like a no brainer. I mean, but it, people miss this if they're just placing their rental property into service in their first year. Don't forget your depreciation deduction. I mean, that's the that's probably going to be one of the largest, if not the largest expense on your Schedule E for reporting your rental property. Additionally, if you make improvements to the property, that's a depreciable item. So don't forget to depreciate that too. And if you're refinancing your loan or you refinance your loan, don't forget to depreciate that. When you depreciate intangible expenses like that, refinancing costs, it's called amortization. So don't forget to amortize the refinancing costs. If you are one lucky son of a gun and you won on the slot machines and you got a W2G, just know that you can offset that income. You can wash it away. You can offset it by claiming your gambling losses. So that's an itemized deduction. And you can deduct your gambling losses up to the extent of your gambling winnings. So the IRS is very lenient about this because they don't expect you to be a winner from gambling. So if you do have a W2G, just know that you can deduct the losses to offset that. If you cannot file your taxes on time for whatever reason, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you fill out an extension and if necessary, pay an extension payment. Okay, so at least file an extension. So there's no harm in doing so. If you file an extension, so your taxes are due April 15th, you can still file 
an extension and still file your taxes April 16th, one day later. There's, there's nothing stopping you from filing immediately after or all the way up until October 15th or anywhere in between. There's no harm in filing an extension. So that's going to save you potentially so much in penalties. And you would be so happy you did. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And I have a video about how to file an extension for absolutely free. It's literally a paper form that they just ask you your name, your social, your social, your address, and that's it. And then you just mail that in. And I give you instructions about where to mail that. I tell you everything. So it's completely free. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. If you can't file your taxes on time, please file an extension. Save yourself some penalties, and you'll be happy you did. So I just gave you 10 pieces of advice. I mean, these are FAQs. These are questions that I get asked every year by my clients, and these are good questions. And I hope that this answers your questions or brings some clarity and has been helpful to you. So if you're an employee receiving a W-2, this is, I guess this is my last piece of advice. If you see that you have a big balance due, or you're getting a big refund, update your W-4. Uh, the W-4 is what determines how much in taxes to withhold from each and every one of your paychecks. Now, we have a video on that too. So based off what your results are for 2019 taxes that you're completing in 2020, if it's good, well, I guess you don't have to update anything and everything's perfect. But if your results are skewed one way or the other, then update your W-4, please. Okay, um, I mean, again, if you find this helpful, I'd really appreciate a thumbs up. And please subscribe since we're always making great content about taxes that's very practical and realistic and useful to you. Thank you so much. Take this video is about tax advice for people making under $40,000. I'm going to give you valuable information so that you don't make silly mistakes that will cost you. I'm going to make sure that you're not passing up free money. I'm going to make sure that you know how to get out of penalties with the IRS, and I'm going to show you how to pay less in taxes. So I'm going to give you five pieces of advice, and it's not going to be your generic BS that's going to waste your time. So let's get started. If you get penalized by the IRS, that sucks because every dollar matters. If you just take the penalty and accept it, well, that's a bad idea. Don't let the IRS push you around like that. Don't let them bully you like that. So I'll tell you a story. My client... This just happened a few days ago. My client received a tax letter, a notification that they're getting penalized for $1,200. And the IRS cited this reason, that reason, you know, just the works for $1,200 in total. So they're freaking out and I told them, I told my clients, call the IRS, you can get out of it. So guess what happened? They called the IRS and they eliminated the entire penalty over the phone. It's just that they knew what to say with a little bit of coaching and this happens all the time so you can get rid of these penalties even just informally through the phone now I'm gonna show you how you can get out of penalties for underpayment penalties you can get out of penalties for filing your tax return late you can get out of penalties for paying your taxes late you can get out of penalties for the vast majority of penalties that exist how is this possible it's called the first time penalty waiver you can just take care of this by phone or if you're afraid to call them, you can just write an informal response letter in response to the penalty letter that you received. So you're going to be surprised at how easy this is. And all you need to do is mention first time penalty waiver. It's that simple. And if this is not your first time, don't worry. You can still get out of the penalties. You just need to give reasonable cause. You just need to know the magic words. 
and they will not investigate your reasonable cause. They're simply going to accept or deny your request, and that's it. They're just going to leave it at that. The magic words are, please remove my penalties because I believe I have reasonable cause due to, and then you need to cite your reasonable cause. So what has a high success rate of working, of getting those penalties removed? So they're, they're going to be medical problems, depression, mental health issues, death in the family, some kind of tragedy, or it could be a whole variety of reasons. I'll give you an example. One of my clients is old and he simply said, I'm old, can you please have these penalties forgiven for, for me? And you know what, they, they forgave them, it, it worked. But you know, don't do that if you're not really old because they, they know how old you are. So I'm not telling you to lie, I'm simply telling you what works and what I have seen work from personal experience. So save yourself that money and don't let the IRS push you around. My second piece of advice is for those people not filing your tax return and losing your refund. Every year I have clients come in that didn't file their taxes for five years, six years, seven years, eight years, and guess what happens more often than you'd believe? In each and every one of those years, they're getting a refund of $2,000, $3,000, $1,000, whatever it may be. They're getting a big refund, let's just say $2,000. And you just multiply that by the eight years that they didn't file, and then they're like, oh my God, I hit the jackpot, I'm gonna get a $16,000 refund. Like, this is it's the best day of my life. But no, do you know what happens? You have three years to claim your refunds. If you don't claim your refund within the given time, you have just forfeited your refunds. So you have three years to claim your refund or else you forfeit it. And also, even if you're not required to file because you didn't make enough money, you should still consider filing your taxes because there's a high probability that you're going to be receiving a refund and there's even a chance that you're going to be receiving free money in the form of tax credits, which we'll go more in depth in our last point. So my point is, you should still consider filing your taxes and also stay within the statute of limitations because you don't wanna forfeit your refunds, otherwise it's gone forever. My third piece of advice is make sure you are selecting the proper filing status on your tax return. I'm specifically talking to the people who are supporting somebody. So many people improperly file as single when they qualify to be filing as head of household. So if you are supporting someone, which not only includes a child, but also can include a parent, a grandparents, a brother, a sister, a niece, a nephew, many other people, then you qualify to file as head of household. So if you file as head of household, then you will get a bigger standard deduction and lower tax rates. So you will get more deductions and the lower tax rate. So make sure you are filing as your appropriate filing status. Now, if you're not filing your taxes because you know that you have a tax balance due, don't just not file your taxes because you're asking for so much in penalties. So if it's April 15th and you know that you're gonna owe taxes and you don't got the money, here are your options. You can request a short-term extension to make the payments or you can go on a payment plan, or you can file a tax return extension. So the first two options, requesting a short-term payment extension or going on a payment plan, 
That's because you filed your taxes and the IRS now knows that you owe money. So you gotta either go on one of those plans. The third option is to file a tax return extension. If you do that, then, well, you haven't filed your taxes because you requested an extension. So that's really just a stalling tactic because you better come across some money within like the next six months before the extension expires because in six months, you're gonna be in the same position where you owe, you're gonna owe that money and you're gonna to have to file and go on a, a short-term extension payment plan or a full-blown payment plan. So those are your options, but my point is to either file and go on a short-term extension or a payment plan or file a tax return extension because if you don't file, the failure to file penalty is nasty. It's 5% a month. That's like highway robbery. So do at least one of these to please exempt yourself from that ridiculous penalty. And one thing I do want to mention is that if you owe a crap ton of money to the IRS, you know those advertisements that you hear that say, oh, I settled for five cents on a dollar. Well, this is a miracle. This is great. Thank you, whoever provider. Well, guess what? That's called an offer and compromise. And a lot of times, you know what? Honestly, in most instances, that's going to be inapplicable to you. If you have income, if you have assets, if you have equity, it's not going to work because they don't want to settle. The IRS, they do not want to settle for five cents on a dollar. They want 100% of what you owe them. They want 100% of what you owe them plus interest. So they're not going to want to settle for five cents on a dollar or a fraction of what you owe them. So it's only going to work if you have no income, no assets, no equity. You got to be like hopeless. So if you are not a lost cause, then don't even try doing an offer and compromise and don't even try to even hire a professional consultant because all they're looking for is to, you know, get the consultation fee from you even though they know that it's not gonna work. I mean, we can tell you right away from the get-go that no, oh, you have income, you have assets, you have equity, no, it's not gonna work. And all I see is not gonna work. So save yourself the money and that's just an FYI. My last piece of tax advice is probably the most difficult one to explain, but this one is huge, especially for those people making under $40,000. It's the earned income tax credit. And you might've heard of this, but I will give you the details. And it's easier for you to conceptualize this if I just walk you through some examples. So the sweet spot for this is if you make $15,000 to $25,000. Now you can still receive this credit if you don't have kids, but the free money that the IRS throws at you is substantially increased if you have a kid or even more so if you have two or more children. 